Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity. How are you doing today? Y'all seem tired. Is it the rain? What is it? The tiredness of the rain? How many of you were here last night and you were at the concert or you were at the Saturday Night Lights and stuff like that? Wasn't it amazing? So we had probably last night, we had people parking in the grass again. Sorry, people that love grass. And um, it's neat, guys. We get, like, cool stuff to see, and there's stuff going on, and there's cocoa, and there's cookie creation, and you got bands up here that are amazing. But as I keep talking to people, the thing that impacts people the most that don't come here is what they experience when they walk in the building from you. They experience love, extravagant love and acceptance, and that comes from our hearts. And i got to tell you this, man. Trinity, you knock it out of the park with that stuff. Keep it up. Love people well. And uh, I can tell you this. If we love people well, there's no building in Hokesson that's big enough to hold the people that will come. It's you. And I don't think you realize this, man. When, when you're in a place like that and you get to do that, we get to, to show the gospel in all of its various forms of emotion. One of those emotions is joy. Do you know that we're supposed to be people of joy? Some of y'all need to tell your face that. And there's a joy, right? I know it's a crazy time, and I know you're stressed out because of the holidays. Don't worry. The Wawa's open Christmas Eve to get all your holiday stuff. I was at the well uh, last week. And if you go to the well, there's a lot of joy going on at the well. You got the tree sale, and then you got all the cocoa stuff inside, and there's Christmas music, and they got inflatables outside. If you go in the coffee entrance, there's a gingerbread cookie guy sitting in a, in a big hot cocoa hot tub pretty awesome. Then you go to the other end and you see like a uh, uh, snowman with all his little snow family and some penguins. Sweet. Then right in the middle is this big inflatable nativity scene. You got Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and you got some animals and it's just sweet. So I'm outside doing some stuff and I hear this ruckus and I look over and there's a little kid kicking the fire out of baby Jesus. And I'm like, what is going on? And his mom's just looking at him. She's like, yeah. And I go up and said, ma'am, I said, your, your child is assaulting baby Jesus. She goes, well, he's just, he just so angry, and he's just, he just got to get it out. He just got to get it out. I'm like, can he get it out on the snowman? I don't want to see him get it out on baby Jesus. Beat me up. Kick me in the head. Don't kick around a defenseless, inflatable baby Jesus. I watched him, and she finally took him away a little. Hellion. <laughs> took him away. <laughs> And I walked in, and I thought to myself, the nerve of people letting their child beat up baby Jesus. You know, of all the stuff they could do is that I'm walking in there, I'm thinking, you know, defense's little baby child. And I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, say, well, that's kind of like you sometimes. And I'm like, Lord, I have never beat up baby Jesus. He says, no. He said, but what we do sometimes is we take our current state, and we pass it along to others. We get upset, and we pass it along to others. We don't experience joy and happiness and we pass that along to others. We pass along all the bad things. I know nobody in here has ever done that. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we can be difficult to live with and to be with. And sometimes, because we allow the environments to affect us, instead of passing along love and joy, we pass along other things. We get salty, sarcastic, and cold. And we fail to be what God wants us to be as believers joy. God called us to be people of joy. Do you know that? 
Now, joy is a weird thing because we all get joy from different things. I remember a few years ago, we were living in Chicago. We would drive up to this place called the Wisconsin Dells. Have you ever been, been to the Wisconsin Dells before? It's got all these water parks and stuff like that. So we stayed in this water park, and it was connected to a roller coaster park called Mount Olympus. Hello. Rob's like, where should we get? Where should we stay? I'm like, the one that says Mount Olympus. Hello. And it was a roller coaster park and a go-kart park. So you, go, you, go, you went and stayed in a hotel. You did all the water stuff. And you got all the roller coaster stuff and everything for free. Now, if my children, every child you have is different. You know, Tyler, when he was growing up, he was not a roller coaster kid. He was a safe kid. Anything that could be like, you know, have any hint of, of danger or something like that, he was not that guy. You know, Tori is, or, you know, or Tyler is pretty adventurous. But then you, you have Tori. She's about this age when we, when we went to the water park. Look at that. Trouble, 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 right? We used to call her strong-willed, and we still do. She's strong-willed. So Tori's one of the most favorite things she likes to do on the planet is she loves, she loves roller coasters. The faster, the more dangerous, the, the higher the possibility of death, the more excitement she gets out of it. Now, my wife will not go on a roller coaster. Tyler will not go on a roller coaster. Toby's a big sissy. He won't go on a roller coaster, so I'm usually the guy. So not only did, did I have to ride these roller coasters with her, but she locked into one roller coaster, one called the Hades. Of all roller coasters, I mean, that should tell you everything, right? It was an old wooden roller coaster, did all these kind of things, and it went up like, straight up there and it comes straight down, and it went beneath the earth. I don't know how they did this. It went right into the parking lot, and you went to, from light, you're screaming, ah, total darkness, ah, and then you come out to the other side. I rode it with her six times in a row. And every time we got on it, Tori got more and more jazzed up. She'd go, mm, yeah! And I'm getting more nauseous every time we go in that big drop. Finally, after the sixth time, I'm like, baby, I, I, I can't do it again. I'm going to die. And she looked at me, she goes, you, just, you don't love me. I said, I love you. I just can't, I can't do this anymore. Who on earth gets joy from a roller coaster called the Hades? Right? But I mean, think of the stuff that you do that brings you joy. Isn't it weird? Isn't joy a weird thing? It's crazy sometimes the things that give us joy. In fact, can I tell you this? As believers, and even as, as we grow as people, do me a favor. Guard your joy as if your life depended on it. Because you know what? It does. Joy is one of the things that when you lose it in life, you start to lose meaning on why you're alive. God called us not just to survive, he called us to live abundantly. And you cannot have abundant life without experiencing joy. So we have to guard our joy as we grow older because if you don't, you grow cynical and you grow stale. Here's the truth about joy. Joy is not just subject to your environment. Joy is something that comes on the inside of you. And because joy, true joy comes from God, it's something that you and I could experience even in the darkest times of our life. We can have joy. Too many times you give other people permission to dictate your joy. Do you know that? So I've got great words for you. Stop it. Stop giving other people the steering wheel to your joy. You can have joy in any season. I remember years ago I was a youth pastor in Pittsburgh, and um, it was the summertime, and I had to do some hospital visitations. So because it was summer, we had some youth that were there just hanging out at the church, and they were driving my pastor crazy. He said, TJ, you need to take these youth with you when you go on the hospital calls. Don't leave them here running amok around the church. 
There was four teenage girls. I thought to myself, the sound of just those four girls together was just, it was like the sound of, of many waters. You know what I'm talking about? Like Niagara Falls. So I threw them in our condo van and we went to the hospital. We went to visit people. I'll never forget, we stopped and we saw Miss Sue. Miss Sue was one of the older ladies in our church. She was really like the spiritual mama of the church. She was sick. She was in the hospital. They didn't know what was going on, so they took her in for tests. So we're sitting there, and she was so happy to see our girls. Oh, girls! And they went up there, and they're sitting on the bed, and they're playing, and she's playing with their hair, and everything's great. And I thought, yeah, maybe this was a good idea, bringing the girls here, because they're making Miss Sue feel good. She's just a great lady. So while we're there, the doctor comes in, and he says, uh, Sue, I've got some news for you. Maybe, you know, everybody needs to step out of the room. And she says, no, no, doctor. She says, this is my family. This is my church family. And then you're going to tell me they can hear I'll never forget this. So we're sitting in there, a couple of the girls sitting on, on her hospital bed. The doctor comes in and they said, they said, Sue, we got our results back. You have stage four lung cancer. They said, there's really nothing that we can do. So we can talk about a little bit of a plan, but it's pretty advanced. And I remember the temperature of the room just kind of dropped. And everything got silent. And then he walked out. And the girls, my little teenage girls, they started to cry. And I, I, something remarkable then happened right in front of me. Miss Sue looked at me. She says, oh, girls, girls, you come here, girls. You, everything's going to be fine. God has got me. God is my source. And she was hugging those little girls as they were crying. Don't you cry, baby. Don't you. And she's wiping tears off their face, playing with the hair again. It took about five minutes before all the life came back into the room. And it was like, in that moment, we went from like death's door to celebration again. And the girls got in the van, and we went back. About two months later, Miss Sue went on to be with the Lord. And I remember being at her funeral, and those little girls there, and they cried, and they'd laugh, and they'd cry, and they'd laugh. And I remember that day thinking to myself, man, right in front of me is a perfect example of being able to face the darkest time of your life and still hold on to joy. What a remarkable thing to have. You and I can have joy even in the midst of our pain. So let me encourage you today, if you're here, and you've lost your joy, or maybe it's blurry and you can't quite see it. Let me encourage you with this. Joy is closer than you think it is. It's not totally gone. It's closer than you think it is. In fact, I think one of the main reasons that God interacts with us during the Christmas time is to remind us and to help us to recover our joy. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke real quick. We're not going to live here today, but we're going to launch from here. Luke chapter 2. It's a Christmas story. It's a beautiful setting. Luke 2.8 2, 2, 8 says this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good noise that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem the city of David. I love that. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. What is the great joy that the angels brought to all people? You know who it was? We sang about him today. It was Jesus. It was the Messiah. And this is the cool thing about Jesus. Not only did he arrive, but he didn't come empty-handed. He brought with him the gifts. Gifts. And the best gift that he gave us was this. He made a way for us to be with the Father. And what's funny is this, even though we call it the good news, this news wasn't new. It's always been in God's heart 
to be connected to his creation. Always. Even from the beginning, the Bible tells us that God would walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He'd fellowship with them. Nothing brings God's heart more joy than to be connected with his creation. So here's the question today. Is it possible for us to walk in joy, to experience joy, even as we walk a path of life that sometimes is unexpected and sometimes is not the best thing ever? It is. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. From the story of Nehemiah, we're going to learn how to walk in joy at Christmas time. Isn't that weird? I've never preached out of Nehemiah for Christmas. We're going to do it today, baby, because what's the worst that could happen? So in three short hours, no, just kidding. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 8. Let me set this up. Who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was in exile. You see, Jerusalem um, strayed from God. It was taken over by its enemies. Its walls were torn down. Its people were exiled, taken away to a distant land. Nehemiah, you know, he finds himself in, a, in the court of a ruler. And God starts to whisper to his heart, Nehemiah, I have an assignment for you. I want you to go back home and rebuild the walls of the city. You see, Jerusalem was desolate. Its walls were destroyed. Marauders and attackers could come in and do anything. Its people were broken, shattered, afraid. The city was broken, shattered, and afraid. They called out to God, and God heard them. Don't you love it when God hears you? So Nehemiah goes back, and he starts to rebuild things. So they start to rebuild the walls. They rebuild the walls, and, and it's an incredible thing. Let's pick it up there. Nehemiah 8, verses 8. It says this, They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each, each passage. Verse 9, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for all the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep. Such on, uh, on such a day as this, for today is, sa- is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What a strange passage. Now, it's funny. You've probably heard the scripture the joy of the Lord is my strength. But most of the time, we have no idea the context of where it even came from. This is where that thing comes from. So you have Nehemiah here admonishing the people. You know, they, they have the law. The people have drifted so far from God. It's not just these people are broken on the outside, but they're broken on the inside. Nehemiah thought his assignment was just to rebuild the outside walls. But when he got there, he realized this. His assignment wasn't just a physical assignment to rebuild houses and walls. The people were also broken. They were beaten down. They were broken. They were at the mercy of the cold world around them. They lost their way. They lost their joy. Does that sound familiar? Do you know anybody beaten down that has lost their way, lost their reason to live, lost their joy? That's where Nehemiah finds these people. So how can a story like this of people that have been so broken lead us to joy? Show us what the joy of the Lord is. I want to put two thoughts in you real quick today, and then we're going to leave. So if you hang with me, trust me, it'll be worth it. First is this. 
Know this and put this somewhere in your heart. Joy is birthed from focus. What you see, what you choose to focus on is super important. What you see, what you focus on, beloved, can make or break you. It can. So here you have all these people in Jerusalem. And as the law is being read, it affects the people so much they begin to weep. This is Nehemiah 8.8 again. It says, they read from the book of the law and uh, from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning that was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep in such a, a day as this, for today is sacred before the Lord. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why did the people weep? You know why the people wept? They realized how far away from God they were. They had drifted so far away. Sometimes you don't know how far away you are until you figure out, you know, somebody brings the plumb line to show you where you're at. Have you ever drifted before? I remember we were moving from Denver to Wisconsin. And we had all of our trucks and everything. Now, I, I don't know what device you use. I'm an Apple guy. I trusted Apple. Um, we're getting ready. We're getting in the trucks. And, and, and my son Tyler goes, hey, he goes, um, um, I put all the, the address in, into the Google Maps. I said, well, that's great, but it ain't Apple. He said, it'd be fine, Dad. I said, okay, I'm going to trust you. So we get in the trucks. Denver is west of Wisconsin. So we get in the trucks, we go to the interstate, we start going west. And I said, well, maybe we're just getting on an interstate or something like that. So we travel on an interstate going west for about 20 minutes. Then my spidey sense starts to tingle. I'm like, Houston, we have a problem here. So I said, give me my phone. I put my, the address into my map phone. And guess what? We were going the wrong direction. See, we found out Tyler actually put the wrong city in. It was taking us to California. Don't know why. Don't want to be there. So I, we put the right stuff in on, my, on my, my, my iPhone, and we started going back east where we needed to go. But here's the problem. We went 20 minutes out of our way, 20 minutes out, 20 minutes back. I'm trying to beat the GPS. It's not going to happen now. Thanks, Ty. Right? I only knew that I was going the wrong direction when I saw the right stuff. So the people here are faced that they're going the wrong direction and they start to feel this thing called sorrow because they've drifted so far. Have you ever, um, have you ever experienced deep sorrow? Have you ever found yourself in a place where it's so different than where you wanted to be? It just caused so much sorrow you felt pain. Let me introduce you to one of my friends. This is uh, Mark Pastoria. He's a pastor in the uh, Pittsburgh area. He's a great guy. I wish he had hair. Um, me and, and Mark had a very unique relationship. We were youth pastors in Pittsburgh at the same time. And we both had sons named Tyler that were the same age. Uh, and they grew together and everything was kind of cool and it was wonderful. And then this weird hap thing happened around age 10. Uh, his son, uh, Tyler, had, uh, he was diagnosed with, um, he had these tumors that were growing in his body, uh, in his spine and all over the place. And uh, him and his wife, Jen, uh, they went through a really hard road with, um, <laughs> is that you, Roger Turk? <laughs> it ain't me, so I'm happy. Uh, they went through a really hard road with, um, with their son. They were in and out of the hospital. And it was a very busy season for them. Uh, they were doing stuff. And it was a busy season for us, too. He was dealing with his family. And, uh, and I was at a church, and we were building a kingdom. Sometimes the church can suck in all your time. 
And, and through that season, we got a little disconnected. Uh, I will never forget the day uh, Mark called me. He said, T, he said, uh, man, because I got bad news. He says, uh, he said, Tyler died. My heart just sunk. And I said, man, Mark, I am so sorry. I said, Mark, what, what can I do for you? He says, nothing. He said, TJ, at my lowest moment, I needed you and you were not there. He said, you, couldn't, you didn't have the time to help me before and I don't want your help now. And he hung up the phone. And my heart just sunk. You know why it sunk? He was right. I was busy doing my own stuff. I was busy building my own things. And I forgot about my friend that I loved. And I felt this incredible sorrow and I couldn't do anything about it. I remember talking to Jesus and I was like, Lord, you know, what do I do with this? And I remember just the Holy Spirit speaking to me saying, TJ, be different. Learn from this, be different. Now, Mark and I are very good friends today. We walked through all of that and we pieced everything back together. But I never forgot about the moment and I never forgot about how it felt to know that I had drifted so far from what I wanted to be, a good friend for Mark. What is sorrow? This is the definition of sorrow. A feeling of deep distress caused by loss, disappointment, or other misfortunes suffered by oneself or others. I felt in that moment with that conversation with Mark, loss and incredible disappointment in myself. The people, when the law was read in Nehemiah, felt sorrow. Why? They drifted from God. They were far away from God. They got stuck into everyday life, and their everyday life just pulled them away. This is why God has to be our center, beloved. If he's not your center, you're, you'll drift. Well, I won't drift. I won't. Everybody drifts. God told us that. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. You are part of the all. The Greek word for all is panta. You know what that means? All. Not just everybody, but the intergalactic Christians. All of us. It's the same word used for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. So when that happens, God touches our heart and we feel sorrow. Now know this, sorrow isn't a bad thing. Sometimes sorrow can be the catalyst that we need to change and to move. You know, Matthew 5, 3 says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize your need for him, for, theirs, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. When you realize your need for God, you feel sorrow, and it motivates you to, to get closer to him. But don't forget this, beloved. Sorrow is a place that you visit. It's not a place that you live. Sometimes we get stuck in sorrow because we have the wrong focus. If you're focused on the wrong things, you'll get stuck in that place of sorrow. So when you look at the story of Nehemiah, it's really clear. The people here in Nehemiah focused, they had the wrong focus. They focused on themselves and how far away they were from the law. When they did that, you know what happened? They missed the purpose of the law. God didn't give them the law to crush them. He gave them the law to guide them, to show them a better way, to move from brokenness into freedom and into wholeness, to move from sorrow to joy. But here's the challenge. They were focused on the wrong things. They were focused on all the, the don'ts and the, and, the, and the terribles and the evils and all that stuff instead of being focused on the purpose of the whole thing. Beloved, know this. 
We have to be careful as, as churches that we have the right focus. For churches, the church should be the most joyful place on the planet. It should be. But oftentimes it's not. Why? We focus on the wrong things. Sometimes we focus on how people are so far from God that we miss the whole point of the good news. Even in your Christian walks, you can be so micro-focused on how you don't measure up that you forget that the joy of the Lord came in and He's your strength. It's not about you and all the things that you can accomplish. It's about Jesus coming to rescue us. Jesus came to bridge the gap between us and God. Sometimes we focus more on the gap than we do the bridge. Stop focusing on the gap. Start focusing on the bridge. God can do anything. He's the bridge. We celebrate that. It's his righteousness that covers us. When you focus on the right things, then you move in the joy of the Lord. And when you focus on the right things, you can have joy even in the darkest night. It's all about focus. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known for me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. It doesn't say in your presence is fullness of joy when my environment's peachy keen. In your presence is fullness of joy. Connect this with the with Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. God is with you. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every heavy weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now look at verse 2. This is powerful. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Because of joy, Jesus endured the cross. He embraced the cross with joy. Why? Because joy was something that was inside of him not something that was dictated by his environment. That's the joy of the Lord. Some of you are here today and you lack joy because you're focused on the wrong things. So this is my first admonition to you this morning. Let God readjust your vision. Let him change what you see and how you see it. Let him be the glory and the lifter of your head. Some of you got to get your eyes off your problems and focus on Jesus. He's your joy. So we're going to pause here for a second, like the video did. We're going to pause. Shut your eyes for a second. I want you to pray right now in your own heart to God. Say, Lord, help me to see clearly. I give you permission, Holy Spirit, to adjust my vision. All right, open your eyes. This is not nap time. Open your eyes. It's important. It is. Some of you, um, and don't get me wrong, we need people to help us to be better in certain areas, but some of you have adopted your ability to see the weakness and brokenness and everything as a spiritual gift. It is not. Finding destruction and bad things is easy. 
Life and solutions are tough. Do the thing that's hard, not the thing that's easy. Are you with me? So first, joy is birthed with the right focus. Second, joy is realized when you follow God's plan. We see joy come to the fullness in our lives when we follow God's plan. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. So they read the law to the people. The people are overcome with deep sorrow because they're focused on the wrong things. Then look at what the leaders did next. They refocused their vision and they pointed them to joy. This is Nehemiah 9 and 10. Don't mourn or weep in such a day as this. For today, is, uh, for today is a sacred day before the Lord. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Look at verse 10. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. That sounds like a Greek festival to me, but that's just me. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is where we get that famous scripture, you know, scripture, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You go into the Christian bookstores, it's all over everything, right? What does it mean? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is the joy of the Lord? It's not your joy. It doesn't say the joy of TJ. It doesn't say the joy of Sue. It's the joy of the Lord. What does it mean? Well, the Hebrew word here for joy is kedva. Now, this word is a very rare word, and it's a very unique word. In fact, it's so unique, it's only used twice in Scripture, in the whole Old Testament. It's only used twice. It's used in this passage, and it's used here in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 16, 27. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his dwelling place. Again, it's attributed to God. This word for joy is uniquely connected to Yahweh. This is Yahweh's joy. There's another word in, joy for, in Hebrew for joy called simcha, which is associated with human emotions and actions. This is not that word. That word's all over Psalms and everybody else. But this word, kedva, is only used twice, and it's exclusively connected to God. So what is the joy of the Lord? Well, a few weeks ago, we looked at how Hebrew is built on pictographs. It's a language that's different than ours. So that means this. In Hebrew... Every letter has an action associated to it. You know, English is built phonetically. Every letter is a sound. In Hebrew, it's not just phonetic, it's an action. It's, an, it's a pictograph language. So, kedva is built on three letters. These are the three letters that make up kedva. Che, dale, and he. Che, and you learned this from a few weeks ago, means boundary or wall or fence. Sometimes it can even mean a dwelling. Delay is a door or an entryway. And hey means divine light or revelation. So if you just look at that middle word, delay, it's an interesting character because in the Hebrew culture, when you use that, that, that character in a word, it signified not just a door we walk through something, but it signified you walking into somebody else's life and you joining into them to have a covenant. Now, this is why the Pharisees and the Sadducees lost their minds when Jesus would go hang out with people that were sinners. 
Because in their eyes, when Jesus would hang out with tax collectors and sinners and people that they thought were lesser, they thought that Jesus was entering into a covenant with them from a relation thing, and, and he was dropping his standards of who he was to enter into them. What they didn't understand was this. That word delay means door. So when Jesus was entering them, what he was doing, when he was hanging out with them, he was creating space, a doorway, for them to be able to enter through him to connect with God. He's a door. That's what he does. He was acting like a door so that broken people like them and like us could find their way back to God. Doesn't it make sense? Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, the door. So that word, that letter, represents a doorway to enter into a covenant. So when you look at this word together, we see what the joy of the Lord really is in Hebrew. It means this, to know that God, if you want to enter into his space, his area, that fence, where he dwells, you enter through the door, a covenant with God. He built a path for you to come into his presence. And once you enter his presence, this is nuts. He gives you the revelation of who he is as your father, but that's not it. That's not the only thing. Revelation goes both ways. He shines light on who he is to you, and then he shows you who you are to him. That's covenant. We only get half the picture. Most of our lives, we spend our time chasing down and trying to understand an ununderstandable God. We know his nature. We know his heart. We don't know his mind. He's God. You're not. The joy of the Lord is simply this. This is nuts. This is what brings God joy. Knowing that he has made a way to be in covenant with you. You knowing who he is and he revealing himself to you and showing you how he sees you. That's what the joy of the Lord is. Now think of it this way. If you can be in fellowship with God like that, and you can experience intimacy with God like that, what situation on the planet can you deal with and not have joy? What can touch you then? See, when you have that understanding of the joy of the Lord, then when you read James 1, 2 through 4, that says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of all kinds come your way, consider an opportunity for great what? Joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When you have that posture and that understanding, beloved, you see the big picture. You aren't stuck in temporary trials. You're able to see down the road. When you're in covenant with God, things can touch your body, but they can never touch your soul. Miss Sue knew that. Cancer could wreck her body, but cancer could never wreck her soul. That's the joy of the Lord. So here's my question for you today. Do you have the joy of the Lord? Where's your focus? Are you focused on the right things? Do you have the joy of the Lord? Do you have an understanding of the covenant that you have with God? A security and a connection with Him 
that is unbroken regardless of what you may face. Bow your heads real quick. I want you to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Just talk to Him. He hears you. Just ask Him. Say, Lord, is my focus in the right place? Ask Him. Say, God, do I know you? Is your joy the understanding of who you are in our relationship? Is that my strength? Or have I allowed other things to get in here to, to zap me of my strength? Pour your heart, your heart out before God. Talk to Him. And listen to what He tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.